The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 19th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. When Jesus drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. It was hard for the people to believe that Jerusalem the city of God, the city that was called by his name. It was hard for them to believe that Jerusalem was a city meant for destruction. And so when Jesus uttered his words about what was coming for Jerusalem, the people didn't believe him, just as they had not believed the prophets before. This wasn't the first time that Jerusalem would be destroyed. It had happened before. It had happened on account of wickedness. And this was not the first time either that a city at all had been destroyed by wickedness because God had brought judgment on it. In fact, we should go all the way back. I want to consider, before we get to Jerusalem this morning, I want to consider the city of Sodom, a city that you know well as being a city meant for destruction. Because of their wickedness, God brought down sulfur and fire from heaven. The story of that city, and in fact, the story of one of the chief residents of that city, Lot, That's an important story to know. So let's do a little bit of history, a little bit of Bible history this morning. You know Abraham, the man who was called by God to leave his homeland and to possess the land of Canaan, this narrow strip of land just on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. That's who Abraham was, and when he left his family, he took his nephew, Lot, along with him. And that seemed like a marvelous thing. Lot had attached himself to Abraham, God's man, the one God had called. That's a good spot to be in. But there was a time in that land before they became a great nation when the flocks and the herds of Abraham and Lot became so large that they kind of rubbed shoulders against one another. There was not enough space for them. So Abraham said, look, there's not enough room for us in this one spot. You decide where you want to go, Lot, and all go take the remaining portion of the land. And Lot looked up and he saw a valley, a valley on the south end of the Dead Sea, that sea that is full of salt. He saw a valley there that was green and lush, just on the border, or maybe even just beyond the border of the Promised Land. And he said to himself, that place looks really good. Lots of grass for my flocks and herds, lots of wealth for me to have. Never mind, Lot thought to himself, never mind, that the cities there, cities like Sodom and Gomorrah, were exceedingly wicked. And so Lot went and pitched his tents outside the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, 
in the midst of that wickedness. He went there because the grass looked good. It looked like he had lots of room to grow. And he ran into trouble right away. There were some other kings in the area who came and conquered the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and drove them out. And Lot was taken captive. But Abraham went and rescued him. Abraham mustered his troops and went and rescued Lot from the trouble that had fallen on him. He went back and he lived among these people, Sodom and Gomorrah, and a lot of time passed when finally the cry that was going up to heaven against the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah was so severe that God was not going to be patient any longer. And so God sent some angels to go and visit Abraham to tell him that he was going to have a son in his old age, but also to show him his plans, to show him God's plans for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. They said, Abraham, God is going to destroy these cities because their wickedness is so great. And Abraham thought to himself, they probably deserve that on account of their wickedness, but my nephew Lot lives there. He shouldn't be destroyed. He's a righteous man. And so Abraham began pleading with God, Lord, if there are a hundred righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you destroy them? No, God said, I won't destroy them for the sake of a hundred righteous people. What about 90? What about 80? What about 50? What about 10? What if there are 10 righteous people? Will you destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? And the Lord said, no, I won't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if there are 10 righteous people found there. And Abraham kept his peace, hoping, praying that God would be merciful to his nephew Lot. You know how the story goes, I think. This is the stuff of children's story Bibles, although lots of the details are often left out because they are gruesome. The angels show up in the city and they are welcomed by Lot. They're shown hospitality by Lot. He brings them into his home and the men of the city want to perpetrate such wickedness against those angels that you can see why the outcry has gone up to heaven against them. So those angels say to Lot, look, it's time to go. There's no righteousness in the city. God is going to save you. Gather all of your family and let's go. And Lot said to his family, we'll leave the city, daughters, two of them, wife, one of them, and two sons-in-law. Let's leave town. But the sons-in-law, and this is important, pay close attention to this, they thought that Lot was joking. What do you mean disaster is coming on our city? What do you mean sulfur and fire from heaven? What are you talking about angels? What are you talking about God's judgment? We're doing just fine. And so the sons-in-law stayed there, and it was just four righteous people who were drawn out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And of course, only three made it to safety, Lot's wife. When the fire and sulfur from heaven began raining down, she could not help but look back, though God had warned her not to, and she was turned into a pillar of salt. Even in leaving the city, even in leaving the city, the angels had to drag Lot he, even he was doubting whether or not this judgment was actually going to come true, whether this judgment would be so severe, whether wickedness really reaps that kind of reward. But it did. God's word held true. He was proven faithful in his judgment. God was proven faithful in bringing an end to wickedness and in saving the righteous. But poor Lot, he did not have much of a future. In fact, through an incestuous relationship, his family continued. He had children by means of his daughters. And they formed the nations of the Moabites and the Ammonites. And later, in the prophet Zephaniah, we hear what happened to Lot's family. Listen to what the prophet Zephaniah says 
Moab, that's Lot's family, Moab shall become like Sodom, and the Ammonites like Gomorrah, a land possessed by nettles and salt pits and a waste forever. It all comes to fruition. All of this judgment comes to fruition when people don't believe, when they, take, when they don't take God's word seriously. There are two key points that I want you to take home today about this. The first is very obvious, and that is the certainty of God's judgment. When he says that he's going to bring an end to wickedness, he means it. When he says that there is hell to pay for unrighteousness, he means it. And though he may delay for a time, and that is a time that the devil loves to take advantage of, although he may delay for a time, the time is always coming. When those who are unfaithful will be cast into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, it always happens. It has always happened. God's word makes it so. God's judgment is certain. The second thing, however, that you must pay close attention to, and perhaps even closer attention to, is this. The lavish mercy of God. Notice how in that story of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, how earnestly God sought to save Lot. He could have written him off from the outset, not even bringing him with Abraham into the promised land. And when he pitched his tents among Sodom and Gomorrah, he could have wiped them out right then and there. He could have left him for destruction. But instead, what did God do? He sent Abraham to rescue him and to pray for him. And he sent angels even to drag him out of that city so that he would be saved. That is the lavish mercy of God, his pity and compassion that extend far beyond what we should ever expect. His mercy which goes even to the depths of hell for you and for me. Now both of these truths, the certainty of God's judgment and the lavishness of God's mercy, those two things are obscured by our world. They always have been. So people have always been saying, from time immemorial, they've been saying, God is not going to judge us. Let us eat and drink and be merry. We're just going to die in the end. It's going to be Okay, this is what they were saying in Peter's day. Listen to how Peter puts it, the apostle. He says, they have been saying, as they always do, that the days will continue as they always have. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of time. If you look at the world, it seems like it is spinning all on its own and that things will continue as they always have and we forget very quickly the judgment of God. Do not let the world tell you these lies. Do not believe, like the people of Israel believed in the time of Jeremiah, that that temple would stand there forever. Don't say to yourselves, Jeremiah said, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Look, if you don't amend your ways and your deeds, if you continue in unrighteousness and wickedness, judgment is coming. And what does our world do? It continues in unrighteousness and wickedness. And so, judgment is coming. Sometimes that judgment needs to be described in vivid detail. In fact, one of the founders of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, C.F.W. Walther, when when he put together the first hymnal for our church body, he included for this Sunday, the 10th Sunday in Trinity, he included an account of the destruction of Jerusalem, which is gruesome in its detail. Worse, 
than fire and sulfur falling from heaven on Sodom. There were a million people in Jerusalem at the time for the festival, and they were there besieged by the Romans. The city couldn't house that many people for very long, and you can imagine the kind of depravity, the kind of degradation, the kind of destruction that they suffered as the Romans hemmed them in on every side and all that they had left was their own skin and bones fading away. You can imagine how terrible that was. Sometimes the judgment of God needs to be described in vivid detail because we forget that it is coming. We forget that in the days of Noah, God sent a flood and destroyed everyone except for Noah and his family. We forget that for the sin lurking in our hearts, if it remains, if we do not repent and turn away from it, such a flood is coming for us. So not, do not disbelieve, do not doubt, or do not let this be obscured by the world, that God's judgment is certain. But the world also overlooks the lavish mercy of God. Of course it would. If you don't believe you have anything to be rescued from, then what good is a rescue party? If you don't believe you have any sins on account of which God's judgment is coming, then what good is the blood of Jesus? But you have seen how lavish God's love is. God sent angels to Abraham and to Lot, and he sent the prophets to Jerusalem time after time. In today's gospel lesson, you see how Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. Would that you have known the day of your visitation. Would that you had known the things that make for peace. I have earnestly sought to save you. To the point that Jesus gives up his own life for a city that would betray him and kill him. He gives up his own life for you and for me. The lavish mercy of God is beyond comprehension. If you ever think that you have understood the gospel, if you think that you've gotten it, if you think you've figured out what this business is all about, then think again, because you cannot possibly plumb the depths of God's love for you. You cannot possibly get to the bottom of it. It is so deep. It is so earnest. It is so sincere. His patience is so enduring. You cannot comprehend it. And so, believe. Believe when he says that he will do anything to save you. Believe that he does not want you to suffer destruction on account of your sins. This is the lesson. That even then, as Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, even then, as he's about to be crucified and killed, even then, he weeps for sinners. Even on the cross, what does he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There will be tragic regret in the day of his coming. It should break our hearts how that regret will appear in the faces of those who heard and did not believe. Those who heard and did not take heed. Those who thought, that's never going to happen. God's judgment is never going to come. What good is the blood of Jesus for me? There will be tragic regret. It will be heartbreaking. Let it not be so for you. Hear the words of your Savior and believe. Sodom is gone. Jerusalem was leveled. You have been called to leave such cities of destruction. Not a physical city. It's not as though... God is going to rain fire and sulfur from heaven on Fairhaven as a sign of his judgment for eternity. But this age, this world, is passing away. It is passing away, and so do not hold on to it. Instead, hold on to 
the things of God, the city of God, a lasting city. Jerusalem could never have lasted forever. But do you know where to find the city of God? It is in this place. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord, the foundation of a city, an eternal city, a city spared from God's judgment because of the mercy of Christ. That is where you find yourselves right now. That is why this place will endure forever. Wherever you are gathered, hearing the promises of God, believing that his blood has saved you from all of your sins, repenting of your sins, amending your ways and your deeds, and clinging to his mercy, wherever that is happening, you are in the eternal city of God, against which the gates of hell cannot prevail. And no fire from heaven will ever fall, for the fire from heaven has already fallen on your Savior. He does not just pour out tears for you. He pours out his own blood. St. Peter asks, given all of this, given how God does not spare the wicked cities, but pours out his blood for his people, given all of that, what sort of people ought you to be in righteousness and holiness and godliness? What sort of lives ought you to live? You ought to live lives of hope. Never forgetting what you've been saved from. It was bad for Sodom and it was bad for Jerusalem, but it is worse for this world and you have been saved from it. Rejoice and never forget. God's judgment is certain, but his mercy, his lavish mercy, is even more certain. Tim alone be all glory now and forever. Amen.